This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Welcome to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to canceled television shows in the horror, science fiction, and fantasy genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Zedica. In tonight's episode, we will be covering Friday the 13th, episodes 21 and 22, Double Exposure, to begin with. And Mr. Zedica has the episode synopsis for us. Okay. Double Exposure. Originally aired May 16th, 1988. Ryan suspects a news anchor of murder but the man has a solid alibi that makes it nearly impossible to prove that he is the culprit. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> the, uh, the villain for this episode, played by uh, Gary Frank, uh, who has the same name as an artist for DC Comics, um, who is currently drawing the Doomsday Clock, which is the giant uh, Watchmen meets the DC Universe crossover that's happening. Uh, plays our villain of the episode, Winston Knight. Yeah, he's a TV news anchor uh, whose current rise to fame is his uh, connection, well, a tentative connection, you know, this machete killer uh, calls him on air to tell him where the body is. So because this machete killer is... Uh, talking to this news anchor, Winston Knight, he has now become, you know, super, super popular, and, you know, this rise to fame, lots of ratings, you know, etc. So that's pretty much the angle that they're going at. He's uh, been a bit-part actor in several TV series, such as Remington Steel, Murder, She Wrote, Dar- Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and he's on what I consider to be my favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series, the 1990s animated series, where we have Mark Campbell as the Joker, uh, mm-hmm. and the episode, If You're So Smart, Why Aren't You Rich?, which was the introduction to the Riddler and a employee that he had fired two years prior named Edward E. Nigma and stolen his idea for a uh, Minotaur uh, video game that uh, two years later he starts getting threatening letters in the mail with riddles in them from uh, the Riddler. 
and uh, Batman and Robin have to go through a labyrinth maze set up like the video game in order to rescue um, the the, uh, the 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 character the the actor uh, Daniel Mockridge, Mock, Mock, uh, Daniel Mockridge, and uh, so he's the snobby uptight business guy again who thought it'd be a good idea to steal someone else's idea and then fire the employee. Um, <laughs> it's a great. Absolutely, 100% great episode. Mainly because Batman doesn't know his way around the rage, the maze, but Robin has played the video game, so he knows everything about all the different traps and all the different riddles and stuff like that. So he's like constantly trying to remember, wait a minute, was it just like this? And Batman's like, no time! And this thing comes flying out of nowhere to try and kill him. At the end of the episode, Batman's like, here's a riddle for you. How much is a good night's sleep really worth? Now that's a riddle. As Daniel Mockridge is seen, like, sitting in his bed with a shotgun, like, huddled up against him, waiting for the Riddler to pop out somewhere to try and kill him once again. Because the Riddler gets away at the very end, and it's it's so good. Oh, that show is just awesome. I remember watching it after school. Oh, yes. I loved the 90s uh, Batman the Animated Series. Uh, anyway, Friday the 13th. <laughs> okay. So, um... You know, I'm going to take the lead here on this episode because Dr. Chris is not feeling very well. You know, he's got a touch of the, the illness going around. Um, but I want to talk to you a little bit about the cursed object uh, in this episode. You know, I honestly think that this episode is one of the better ones I've seen from them. And the cursed object is an antique camera. And you see it right in the beginning. You know, you, before you're really introduced to what exi- is exactly going on in this episode, you see the procedure of the cursed object being used, even though you might not realize it at the time. So, it's an antique camera, uh, circa like 1890s to maybe 1910, something like that. Uh, this type of like folding style camera is, was actually quite popular at that time. So from 1890 to 1910, uh, these cameras were pretty much distributed all over. You know, they had marketing campaigns that says even a child could use it. Um, of course, this, the style that he's using is actually using the flash powder, which gives a very impressive, you know, boom, flash. Uh, you can see right in the beginning where he's pouring the powder into the vessel, and then the vessel is set aflame, and it produces that large flash. These types of cameras are considered, uh, uh, the negatives that they use, they could either use glass or film, and in this episode they use one that actually uses film, Uh, but this is a camera that has a 4 inch by 5 inch negative, which you see later on in the episode. Each of these negatives have to be developed individually. I've actually had the experience of using one of these cameras at one time, and uh, it's complicated, <laughs> uh, but it's still very easy to do. Uh, it's nothing like digital. You know, you have to make sure that you get your aperture right, etc., in order to use it. Um, but it, it's pretty much uh, a multiple f-stop range camera, and you have different speeds of shutters. So depending on what you're taking, if it's a day or a night shot, and how much flash you're using, or if you're using natural light. So this is very interesting because not only does this reporter have the cursed object camera, 
but he also has an identical or nearly identical one that he uses as kind of a duplicate later on in the episode. So it's pretty darn cool. Uh, having a negative that's like a 4-inch by 5-inch or even larger, um, that is considered a, a large format a negative, large format print. So um, he has that uh, black room in his own place to develop the negative. And what's really cool, and you see it right in the beginning, is that he takes the negative, puts it into the developing fluid, and then starts to develop, and then chemistry and magic happen, and a body starts rising out of the, the fluid itself, you know, this gooey, greenish uh, body that he's like, oh, darling, you know, he's, he's just kind of fawning over this, you know, creature rising. And this was all done in practical effects, which that makes it very cool. It was like a split screen, so you could see the bottom of the table. You can see the reporter's legs, but you could also see the body rising out of the developing tray. Very, very cool. What's funny is the uh, killer proceeds to take a woman home, and uh, she's you know, constantly fawning over, uh, oh, my God, my friends will never believe it's you. I'm just like, oh. And my 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 insert line would be, uh, my friends will never believe I've been walked home by the famous serial killer of whatever town they happen to be in. <laughs> yeah, and you know the the power of this camera is that you take the picture of someone that person is now duplicated, rises out from the developing fluid, and you can order this person to do whatever you want, and then you know after five hours it must be destroyed. If it doesn't get destroyed, then the the person who took the picture would get destroyed and the duplicate would become the real person. Kind of a weird, weird curse there, you know, but um, I, I, I don't know exactly how you would find that out unless maybe Uncle Lewis told him, you know, what it did, you know, got that, a message from the devil or something. Well, <laughs> no, it's just, it's the constant, like... Um, they even say that at the end of the episode, how did he find out about the camera? And he's like, Uncle Lewis must have told him. And it's like, no, that's writer's way of saying we couldn't come up with a good idea about why he would be able to figure out the camera does what it does. So we just assume that Uncle Lewis told him when he sold it to him. Yeah. No, yeah. that's not true because Uncle Lewis didn't exactly tell everyone, okay, that's a cursed doll. Uh, it will kill people that tries to take it from you. Um, <laughs> that's a cursed uh, mulcher. You throw people into it, you get money. Um, yeah. That's a yeah. cursed uh, horn. You, it will summon a ghost pirate, which we'll see in the next episode. No. Uncle Lewis did not tell everybody what the things do. And most of the time not. You know, they find out on their own in some sort of fashion. But according to the manifest, this camera was bought by... A, a TV station or radio station, K-A-H-N. Uh, uh, but yet when we look to the station that he's actually working for, it's K-B-L-A. Correct. Um, which is why okay. when they say, um, which is why uh, when they happen to bring up what the call letters are, um, it reminds me of this. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. Come! Come! 
And that's from Star Trek <laughs> to The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the show uh, obscures where it's taking place because, uh, you know, stations that begin with K are actually west of the Mississippi River. Uh, so, you know, they're always trying to mix up exactly what location Curious Goods is actually in. Which is kind of cool, you know. Also, Ryan seems to have gotten over the Amish girl pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, you see him on a date, and it's going really, really well, you know. Um, yeah, just just last episode, he was head over heels and going into the, you know, Amish Mennonite lifestyle, and then now he's out uh, taking pictures and going to kind of like a carnivalish setting or something like that with this girl named Kathy. Uh, it's kind of cute, too. Yeah. Yeah, I just uh, wow. Got over, uh, so, but got over her pretty fast, <laughs> Laura. Yeah, 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 Laura. She was cute, but uh, you know, different worlds. And Kathy is more on his speed, I think. Uh, so, so we find that the uh, the process that is happening is that you need to burn the negative, uh, and then the clone itself burns up as well. Uh, Ryan uh, ends up kind of interrupting one of these attacks, you know, find, you know, becomes an eyewitness, the first eyewitness to any of these attacks from the Machete Killer and sees the reporter's face and, like, this is the reporter attacking this woman and, you know, he was too late to actually save her. Um, but, of course, the cops don't believe him because the reporter was on air. He's got, like, an airtight alibi. And uh, it's it's like Ryan is so, you know, he, he understands that what he's saying is kind of crazy, you know, because anyone else is like, okay, well, he, a guy can't be in two places at the same time. But he comes up with the, like, well, does he have an identical twin? You know, that is like a reasonable assumption. Yeah. Um, by the way, do you know who um, the actress is who plays his date? Uh, Kathy? Uh, no. What's who's the actress? Uh, her name is Catherine Disher, and she has an extremely long career in television, um, having appeared recently on The Good Witch uh, as Mayor Martha Tinsdale. Um, I think the series has ended after 32 episodes, but she was Dr. Natalie Lambert for three seasons on Forever Night. She was the doctor that would help Nick Knight the vampire try and cure his vampirism. Oh. And she was the voice of Jean Grey on the X-Men animated cartoon series. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> she, was in, she was also in uh, War of the Worlds and uh, uh, The Busy World of Richard Scarry. Um, she, was one of the, she was one of the many voices on that show. But uh, yeah, the, the two of the biggest things that she's best known for is uh, Jean Grey, Phoenix, Marvel Girl on the X-Men animated, Fox 90s X-Men animated series, which usually would air on Saturday mornings right after Batman the Animated Series. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome. But I always remember her again as playing uh, Natalie uh, Lambert on Forever Night, which was a fantastic Canadian vampire series in the 90s. Yeah, I never actually gave that one much chance. Are you you know, I should. I should. Wow, I'm shocked. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty picky with my vampire stuff. You know? <laughs> Are, wow. Well, Forever Night was a great show until it wasn't. 
I think I caught it when it wasn't. <laughs> uh, gotcha. Um, yeah. But, uh, again, the biggest thing I, I remember her being was, uh, again, Jean Grey, uh, you know, Cyclops' girlfriend, and a psychic redhead who would become the Dark Phoenix. Uh, Ryan and Kathy actually go to meet the reporter himself, you know, just to talk it over. And uh, I don't know what really the purpose was, just to, you know, clear the air or, you know, find out some inside information. Because at this point, they don't know that it's actually a camera that is the cursed object. Jack is looking through the manifest to figure out if it is a cursed object. Um, but uh, uh, Kathy ends up uh, forgetting her purse, going back to the place, and then seeing the clone and uh, the news anchor, Winston Knight, talking. And yeah, he's, he's saying that, uh, you know, the clone is saying that he wants to live, or, you know, why do you, why do you always kill me? And you know, why, why do I have to go? And uh, he says, well, it's either you or me. So, you know, you've got five hours to live. You know, make, make the best of it. But they see her. They see her. So the machete killer one gives chase and ends up, like, chasing her back to her house. Since she left her purse, they've got her keys. Chasing her back to the house. She leaves a message on Ryan's answering machine. And this is, like, one of the most heartbreaking things. To actually hear, um, just before she dies, this answering machine about that there is two reporters, she saw them, she's scared, and then, you know, the guy appears. He's right there. She gets killed. She gets killed brutally, like chopped up. Oh, yeah, blood everywhere. By the time, actually, Ryan uh, hears a message, runs over there like it's cops everywhere. It, it's terrible. Gruesome scene. It's too late. Ryan and Ryan, Ryan really breaks Laura. down in grief over it, too. More so than so, Laura, but Laura lived on, so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's really no harm to Laura, except, you know, marrying a, a douchebag of a guy, but Kathy was cut down way before her prime. Good girl. Uh, but... One thing I gotta ask is, Mickey, this t- entire most of the second half of this episode, is she wearing a girdle on the outside? Because that doesn't look like a corset. Well, that is called a corselet. Oh. And okay. and so it was a uh, fashion trend in the 1980s, late 80s, uh, and it wasn't an actual cinching corset. It's okay. just kind of a, a loose corset-ish device, I guess you'd put. But it was like matching. It was coordinating with all of her clothes. It was an excellent outfit. I actually took note in my my notes here that, you know, excellent outfit. I really liked how she dressed in this episode on the last half of the episode. Um, But it's not a cinching corset, but it is considered kind of a corselet. Black and kind of a gray-green. Got it. So Jack actually suggests blackmailing uh, Winston Knight, because Ryan confronts uh, the reporter about it, and the reporter is in the middle of like trying to set this negative on fire. Do you want so to he t- he he is, takes it. Do you want to talk about the um, the references to cameras in the occult that Jack mentions? Well, he does he does actually mention uh, different ways for um, people to kind of duplicate themselves. And cameras and photography, along with mirrors and uh, windows or portals, 
Uh, those are different ways that one can get a doppelganger. I'm, I'm not sure that there's any that would kind of have this cursed objects uh, methodology, if you will. But cameras in the occult, uh, because it's kind of a, a magic of science, where you can actually take a picture, and then in that picture resides a little bit of the person. So in that picture, you can use that picture for any number of different purposes, um, spell casting, curses, that type of thing. Duplicating yourself, it would be uh, you take a mirror and then the picture, and you put the picture uh, face down onto the mirror. So it's kind of like a mirror image of the picture itself. And that could, in some belief systems, that could create a doppelganger or have an expanded skill set for yourself. So you're kind of duplicating yourself. Uh, and that that's kind of a... I mean, it's not scientific, of course, <laughs> um, but you know, there there are a few things that uh, doppelgangers have really appeared for. Um, but uh, he doesn't. Jack doesn't really get into that so much in this episode. I want to point out to anybody that uh, the character in the episode. Um, oh, I just had it right here. Uh, I lost my footing. The character of the episode, Eleanor, uh, is played by an actress named uh, Deborah Tennant. There's no relation to the Doctor Who star David Tennant, as his real name is not uh, David Tennant. <laughs> okay, his okay. Real name, his real name is David John MacDonald. Huh. Of Scotland. Interesting. Yeah. Tennant is not a Scottish name. MacDonald no. is a Scottish name. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. The, the way that the reporter kind of sets up everything in this episode, especially the last half of the episode, is very detailed and kind of brilliant. Uh, you've got Jack wanting to blackmail the reporter with the negative because they have, they have the negative, so they have power over the reporter. The reporter wants the negative. They want the camera. So they're looking to trade you know, the negative for the camera. But what he does is that as soon as Jack gets in there, he knocks him out and then makes a duplicate of Jack. And so the duplicate of Jack is going to take the fake camera to them, get the negative, burn it, and then Jack is supposed to kill, or the, the fake Jack is supposed to kill off uh, everyone there. And then the reporter, knowing this plot, is supposed to expose the murderer and then, without the police... Uh, without the police, uh, capture the killer. So he's got this, this, I mean, planned out immaculately until the point is where Ryan understands that this is not Jack and this is a duplicate Jack. It just seems and like then the duplicates are just kind of fighting each other, which is kind of cool. The, uh, it, it seems like it takes them a little while to figure out that's not the real Jack, considering they know that the duplicates are... Um, you know, slightly different, and Jack doesn't exactly act like himself at all. No, no, he's, he's acting very, I don't know, kind of angry-ish? You know, not talkative at all, which is unlike Jack. He would have been talking about that camera and the properties of that camera as soon as he walked in the door. True. But it ends up where uh, 
the duplicate Jack is, uh, you know, beaten in battle by the duplicate reporter. <laughs> and the wounds are basically like this green goo, you know, which is the developer fluid uh, chemical stuff that they came out of. And, yeah, that was, uh, that was, yeah uh, so... Pretty gross. Yeah, it is It is kind of gooey. It's gooey. Although developer fluid is not like that at all. No, but, you know. Not. Yeah, I worked at camera studios for uh, when I was younger in my teenage years. And uh, developing fluid is watery. Yes. Very watery, clear um, uh, smells. <laughs> um, you know, well-ventilated area. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Jack uh, gets sliced and turns into goo. Ryan stabs the reporter, the duplicate reporter, and of course there's goo coming out of the wound. Uh, in the process, uh, Ryan and Mickey run out of the place, so their lives are saved. He, the, the real reporter is on camera capturing this, and then as soon as he sees his clone come out, he's like, stop the camera, stop the camera. But it all backfires on him because, of course, they keep rolling and the, the time runs out. You know, the clone becomes real. He turn, fades to, from, you know, color to black and white to nothing. And then the clone turns real and then that wound, that stab wound, which was goo, is now blood and he dies too. Mm-hmm. So, like, the body count in this one, are, are we considering duplicates actually a body count? Um... Are we are we considering so, just real he people? Does die at the very end, even though the way that Winston's uh, original, the real Winston dies because the clone destroys the picture, doesn't mm-hmm. really make a lot of sense at all. That should have killed the clone, not Winston. Yeah, but Winston, the the clone died from the stab wound, and Winston the reporter died because the clock ran out and the clone lived longer than five hours. Yeah, that just seemed a little... No, well, you know, convenient. it's a cursed object. Yeah, it, yeah, it just seemed a little convenient. But yeah, yeah, there are like six people who die. Eleanor, Winston, uh, Winston... Winston dies three times. Winston one, two, and then three. And then Kathy, and then the Jack clone. So only really two people... There's only three people that really die. Original Winston, it's... Kathy, and Eleanor. Yes. Yeah, because the rest of them were just duplicates. Correct. And then there was nine people mentioned off-camera that were killed. By the machete killer. Yeah. A uh, long trail, long body count trail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. And then Brian um, has uh, his grieving moment through this whole thing. So you said that you worked at a camera uh, developer place. Well, Did yeah, you ever get to work with one of these old-fashioned cameras? Oh, no. Uh, we were... This was uh, 1998, 1999. Well, you know, have you ever developed, like, large-format prints? Yeah, but but uh, nothing as old as uh, as what these are using. It was still, uh, like, in, like, spools of uh, either 35mm or... Uh, there were large prints, but I don't exactly remember what the names of them were. They, it was so long ago. Yeah, yeah. Film is now a thing of the past. You have to special order it. Uh, yeah, or you could go on eBay and find it. 
No, special order. <laughs> it's not. It's not like going into Walmart anymore and picking up some black and white film. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't remember where, where I saw it, but I was at a store. Store they had uh, a section of uh, thirty-five millimeter film. Really? I haven't seen that in a couple of years. Yeah, it might have been like a Rite Aid or a CBS or something. I know they still have those disposable cameras that still use film because I see those at weddings all the time. Yeah, maybe it was that that is what I saw. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's all I have for this episode. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have as well. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then uh, play some. Uh, excuse me. Take a quick break and play uh, some promos from other podcasts as well as our sponsor. And then the promo for the next episode, The Private's Promise, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Hi, I'm Ali, and this is Rob. Howdy. And we're the hosts of Horror Never Sleeps, a new weekly horror movie retrospective podcast. We will be reviewing your favourite scary movies like Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and Psycho. Also, we'll be covering classic gems like... Maniac Cop, The Lost Boys, The Human Centipede, whoa, 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 uh, no, oh, we'll see, first episode will be released mid-November, you can listen on iTunes or your favourite podcast app, until then, stay scared, ooh, we won't be doing that. Hi, I'm Rachel, and I'm Rebecca. We're the hosts of a new true crime podcast called Yours and Murder. We put out a new episode every week. We switch between covering true crime cases together and analyzing true crimes in our minisodes. We take turns on the minisodes, focusing on our unique perspectives. I have a degree in forensic science. And I have one in journalism. So we're able to go beyond Wikipedia and dive into the facts of the case. We look at the forensic evidence and the spin put on cases by the media. Check us out on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and like us on Facebook for an update on Today in True Crime History. As always, we are Yours in Murder. Friday the 13th. There's no telling what you'll find. Here's living proof old pirates never die. With Bride's curse. He swore he'd return to avenge himself. Now he's coming after you. There's one. It's the Day of the Dead. Don't turn your back for a moment. Friday the 13th. The series. You don't stand a ghost of a chance. Next week. And we're back with the TV podcast. Episode 22. The Pirate's Promise. Which is as close to a classic ghost story. Like, John Carpenter's The Fog as we'll get with this series. Yeah, that that promo was just ridiculous. <laughs> Um, this is episode 22, uh, The Pro- Pirate's Promise, originally aired June 27, 1988. Mickey and Ryan travel to a seaside village to retrieve a cursed foghorn that is being used by a town resident to, resident to summon the ghost of a vengeful pirate. And let's talk about that pirate for a second there. Wow. Yes. There is no budget on this show to create a good enough looking pirate or a pirate ship. He rose up in a dinghy. In a dinghy. And we don't yeah. ever see a pirate ship until the last frame of the episode. 
Yeah, it's, uh, and, and that even seemed to be kind of stock footage. Yeah, yeah. whatever Paramount had lying around. Yeah, yeah, dingy pirate ship, go. Yeah, um, well, the, the name yeah, of the so, little rowboat is called a dinghy. It is, Yeah. but okay. I was saying dingy, dingy pirate okay. ship. Yeah, it's like, you could not even give us, like, the silhouette in the background on a map painting of, like, a pirate ship in the horizon. He just rose up in this little tiny thing, and you're like, ooh, ooh. You know, the first time I saw it, I thought it was, it was, he was making a deal with the ferryman, you know, the that takes the dead to the beyond. Oh. You know, because, I mean, it was a little tiny tiny, tiny ships, you know, so it's, I, I thought it was actually the ferryman. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, he tosses coins at the, our um, main bad guy character, Joe, Joe Fenton, tosses coins at him, and I'm like, wait a minute, don't, don't you take the coins, ferryman? Like, yeah. why are you giving him coins while you're taking the body? And then it was explained a bit later. Um, do you have the episode synopsis for us? I did the episode synopsis. You did? I did. Alright. Alright, just gonna find where I gotta edit that out now. Um, okay. Uh, let's jump right to our notes before my drug out of mind asks any more dumb questions. <laughs> uh, this is like an episode we don't have Jack in as well. Yes. Jack is not in this episode. It's just Mickey and Ryan. And, of course, once again, you know, they're obscuring where the, this show takes place because this is a seaside city, you know, a seaside town that they're going in. And yet, if they were west of the Mississippi, there are no oceans until you get to the actual west coast. Well, what's funny uh, is that the, uh, the episode was shot on Lake Erie, but it's like, they couldn't maybe come down to Maine, where we have lighthouses everywhere? Yeah, yeah. They they said that there wasn't a, a filmable lighthouse in Toronto, Which so they to had to cut back the days of filming and cut corners and all that in order to make sure that they got a filmable location on um, Lake Erie. By the way, uh, I gotta, I have to point this out because I think this is too funny that we have two of these episodes back to back in a row. Hold on, I gotta find the theme song, and I will play it if you can hear the theme song. Hopefully, you can hear it when I start playing it. I think this is the first for the first time ever. We have, we have actors back to back episodes from this amazing animated series. Yes, the actor who plays Joe Fenton, Cedric Smith, was Professor Charles Xavier of the X-Men, the animated series. Oh, wow. Right after wow. we just had the actress who played Jean Grey. That is too, too funny. I loved me some X-Men animated series back in the 90s on Fox. And that's too oh, funny totally. that we had the uh, the two of the biggest, most powerful X-Men characters played by their voice actors in back-to-back episodes of Friday the 13th, the series. That's that's excellent, man. Yeah. Good find. Definitely very cool. That actor is actually still alive today, still working. He's a bit part actor, but he's done a lot of voiceover work in the 90s. And again, the biggest thing he claimed to fame is X-Men. Cool. 
Um, so right in the beginning, we see the foghorn being used. The woman gets stabbed, and then he passes her off to the pirate in the boat, gets some gold doubloons thrown at him. And then we uh, are introduced to our, um, I guess, lovable character, Dewey Covington, who runs the Whaler's Point Museum. Sure, loving character, loving, loving character. Oh, whatever it is you said, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, he's he's responding to basically their letter. Um, you know, I guess he had uh, he had bought it. And then he sold it to a man who then died last year. And then now it has changed hands. They're trying to figure out who has this foghorn, this anti-crank-up foghorn. Where is it? And they don't even know what the curse is on it or anything. It seems to be very, very specific curse. Like, this is a niche curse. Yeah, and it's it's funny. There's actually kind of like two curses going on in this episode because... I don't know if you got this, but uh, this episode has a lot to do with, or, you know, a lot of similarities to a famous movie directed by John Carpenter, The Fog. Oh, with the pirates, yes. Yes, because in the... Pirate, in the, pirate town. Yeah, in The Fog, the pirates had come to the uh, foggy town in Maine for help, but they had, like, leprosy, and they were cast out. So they were, you know, the curse was put upon the town in the movie. Yeah, that was a pretty interesting movie. Yeah, I watched it. I did like it. Um, Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, yes. Uh, the the uh, pirate curse slash legend that this episode is based on is not a- anything based in reality. There's no Angus McBride that you know hid treasure. Okay, you know, I'm nothing ask like about that. that. Yeah. Good. <laughs> um. So. Ryan and Mickey are kind of staying in this town, and then they hear uh, uh, basically the town drunk, which gets introduced to them uh, early on, seems to hear the foghorn, and, you know, they're trying to track down exactly where he heard it and, you know, what's going on. This episode was, I, I would consider this was a good episode, a bit low in production value. Oh, God, but yes. <laughs> a, Yeah, a, a good episode. Um, but there was a lot of questions I wrote in my notes as I... Mo, my, <laughs> I wrote in my notes as I was watching it because the second person that he... Ta- that Joe Fenton takes to the lighthouse is an appraiser. You know, some sort of, you know, uh, gold appraiser, antique appraiser, and then... She says that these gold doubloons are legit, they're absolutely valuable, and starts to, uh, you know, plan out things such as, like, an auction and investments and things like that, and then he suddenly kills her. Yeah. And I, and uh, I was uh, like, why? Why did you... I mean, her like, company clearly would know that she was sent there. Yeah, also, later in the episode, Mickey points out that the curse can't affect her or Ryan. So why would it affect the appraiser? Is the appraiser one of the people that is connected to the curse? Turns out, yes. Okay. Turns out, yes. By the way, every uh, time the pirates are on screen, or pirate, because we only get like one pirate until the very end, which is like 
guys, go to the Halloween store and find a better pirate costume. I mean, the pirate looked like Skeletor's father, for God's sakes. <laughs> the entire time... Yeah, it was kind of black and gooey and just the puffy shirt and the hook hand. Yeah, but the entire time, with the ridiculous, uh, cheap, low-budget look of the pirate, I kept thinking of this. Sixty men all lost to sea, all of them drunk except for me. Twas I who had to face the storm with nothing in sight to keep me warm. Yo ho ho ho, over the raging sea we go. Yo ho ho ho, wherever the four winds blow. Hey! <laughs> and that is from Garfield's Halloween special, by the way, for anyone who's not familiar with the voice of of uh, Lorenzo Music as Garfield Cat. <laughs> Uh, I actually have some of these, um, you know, pirate insults up on my screen. It's going to kind of pepper them in here. But <laughs> oh, and by the way, the voice of the pirate sounded like, um, have you ever watched, and I think we, I swear to God, I remember I thought of us, I thought we talked about this in a previous episode of the podcast, but it might have been on my other podcast, Supernatural Creatures of Lore. Have you or your children ever watched SpongeBob SquarePants, where the episodes with the uh, Flying Dutchman would appear? Uh, we've watched so much SquarePants, I kind of block it out. Yeah, the Flying Dutchman is a ghostly flying uh, pirate spirit that terrorizes Bikini Bottom. Yeah. So it, when the uh, when the Flying Dutchman appears, um, he has this very distinct voice, and that's what the voice of the pirate in the episode sounds like. Yeah, you, luckily you don't hear him that much in this episode. Yeah, yeah I know. I'll peel your skin like a mango. No, yeah, no. <laughs> Nothing like that. <laughs> uh, so... We we get throughout this episode, uh, this the actual story of what really is going on. You know, the, it unravels itself to the viewer, and we find out that the curse on the foghorn is that the curse calls Angus McBride to shore, summons him, and then if you give him a a person that he was is a descendant of the crew that mutinied against him, he will give you some doubloons, and then if you killed all of them, then he will reveal where his stash of pirate loot be. And like any pirate, he never actually goes through with it at the end. This, you know, this that's ep- why you don't trust pirates. This episode, despite its low budget, still had a better plot line than the last four Pirates of the Caribbean movies by Disney. <laughs> it's clear, that's for sure. <laughs> when are we gonna have the Pirates of the Caribbean incorporated into the Marvel universe? Uh, you know, like some type of time travel movie or something. Then we don't have to oh, worry about Disney. Don't give making. them any ideas. Well, maybe it will help their pir- their fledging pirate uh, franchise because they have just not been able to make a good pirate movie in years. But you know, gangbusters on Marvel and Star Wars films. Oh yeah. Uh... Uh, I don't know. Like, I I I have seen the latest Pirates of the Caribbean. I did like the effects, but the story was certainly lacking. Um, you know, Ryan in fact actually sees the cave that this ghostly pirate is kind of stashing all of these bodies. 
you know, towards the end of the episode. Yeah, it's like Jason Voorhees when he stashes the bodies in a in one particular cabin inside uh, Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah, this is just like a cave, and Ryan ends up kind of getting into a bit of a fight with him. You know, the hook hand is rubbing against the, the sides of the cave and creating sparks, and he's being menacing looking. And it's not until the foghorn sounds that uh, the pirate backs off and must bid his adieu to Ryan while he's surrounded by these corpses. Who he really has no reason to kill because he's not part of the deal. No, he really not. It's just that the ghostly pirate might be a little upset that he found his little cache of dead bodies. I don't know why he'd be upset. Nothing that Ryan can really do to him. No, I mean, it, uh, it, nothing at all. But uh, the fact that there are two curses going on um, tied together is unique for the uh, for the series up to this point, because we've only ever had one cursed uh, MacGuffin plotline. Yeah, this is, this is like a legend curse mixed with a cursed object. Yeah. Um, that Elise, uh, who's, whose birthday it is today, Elise Wax, Happy birthday! Yes, our uh, sometimes uh, she hasn't been on in a couple months uh, due to traveling, and uh, she writes for a lot of different websites. But we do hope to have Elise on, hopefully by the end of the season, if not when we return for season two in May after we cover Spawn the animated series. So Elise Wax, uh, author of Curious Goods behind the scenes of Friday the Thirteenth, it's her birthday. So, um, you know, happy birthday. You can go on her uh, website, I believe, or Twitter, or she has a... Uh, she, you can find her on the Friday the 13th uh, message board uh, groups on Facebook as well to wish her happy birthday. Yeah. Um, so, she actually wrote uh, in her book that... Um, she was wondering if the curse of this object would run out as soon as the pirate's legendary curse was fulfilled. Uh, and that would mean that sometimes the curse can kind of expire on these items and then they just be not cursed objects anymore. So would they actually take this foghorn and put it in the vault? Or would they deem this object now uh, you know, just a regular object? Because since you cannot summon the pirate anymore, uh, then what's the point? Or does it actually go to a different pirate and a different pirate legend and summons a different thing for someone to explore? These these are questions that come up from this episode because of these dual curses happening at the same time. Uh, Yeah, I mean... If uh, there's probably more than one pirate curse out there, and I don't know if we ever revisit any other pli- pirates uh, coming up on the show, so yeah, there's actually a lot of um, uh, cursed treasures. You know, uh, one of them, which I find one of the most interesting ones, it's actually the Oak Island Money Pit curse, and uh, it was found by a bunch of teenage boys in 1795. Nova Scotia, Canada, tiny island off the coast of Nova Scotia, and turns out that uh, there is in kind of like a piece of marble etched into it uh, in code, but it translates to read, 40 feet below, 2 million pounds are buried. 
Now, because this is such an elaborate trap and a pirate cache of, of stuff, it's got like, the pit has wooden barriers and it has coconut shells and it has kind of a side tube that goes to the water. So if you were to break the seal of some sort, the water would come rushing in and then destroy the loot. Uh, one of the more famous hunters for this treasure was um, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And oh. still to this day, no one has been able to actually get to this treasure. Even with our modern technology and, and digging equipment and whatnot, no one has actually been able to do it. And six people have died trying. Well, maybe it will happen on a TV series called the Curse of Oak Island, which has been on for five years, a reality television show, which uh, Maddie Blake of uh, WAF here in Massachusetts on uh, the uh, Maddie and Nick show actually was in a couple episodes of it. Um, it uh, it's been running for 59 episodes, and they just finished season five, um, and they go they they film on Oak Island, Nova Scotia, Canada. Mm-hmm. And they try to uncover some of these mysteries that you're talking about. Yeah, and uh, to this day, it's on the nothing channel. has been recovered. Uh, but uh, I, I I haven't watched the show, but I've heard it's really good. I mean, I I personally loved treasure hunting, not for pirate treasure, but you know, for other things. And uh, pirate treasure has always been one of those treasure caches that strike up the imagination because. It could be literally anything in that trunk or that cave or that, you know, stash of stuff. It could be anything from doubloons to Spanish uh, artifacts to gold bars. There's a lot of sunken ships, and there is big money in actually going down to uh, scavenge uh, sunken ships, and people will try, you know, spend their vacation trying to find a pirate treasure. If you find one, there is a lot of legal stuff that you have to go through in order to get it uh, claimed to you, <laughs> uh, especially if it was previously stolen from a government. Um, huh. They they might actually give you a finder's fee, you know, reward. But if it was stolen from like the U.S. government or the Spanish government, then they actually own it, and it is really up to them to give you any part of it. That's, I guess, why treasure hunting is such a big business. Because um, sometimes you can make more money off of, like, getting uh, funds out of the government than you can in a museum. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it, it takes millions of dollars sometimes to excavate, uh, get, getting the permissions, the permits, everything else to excavate, or to you do a uh, water um, salvage operation. But the rewards can be extremely high. It's just one of those gambling things. And the type of person that goes out and and tries to find pirate treasure has to have a little bit of that obsession. And that you see that in Joe Fenton in this episode. Like You see that obsession with trying to get this pirate treasure from the pirate himself. After, but at the very end of the episode, he does not. After the double uh, Amish whammy episode, uh, this was a good breath of fresh air and a good classic kind of like uh, horror tale. Um, one thing I gotta point out that I forgot to in the previous uh, uh, notes is that when uh, uh, 
speaking of uh, something that's good, uh, I, I completely skipped this note by accident. Ryan woke up from a nightmare where the TV was coming into life and, like, smashes through the TV, you know, after the news report says that he's the, um, you know, the killer. He's the killer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. actually kind of reminded me more of uh, Freddy's Nightmares, which is not available, unfortunately, on DVD or Blu-ray. Not that it sh- ever should be, because, again, if you really try and watch that show, it is impossible. Um, with the exception of maybe the first episode, because it's directed by Toby Hooper. But uh, just a little note that I, that I missed that uh, I thought was great about that episode, that sequence. But this episode between the Pirate, the pirate Promise and Double Exposure, Pirate Promise was uh, the better episode, despite its I don't know. value. I, I, I thought that Double Exposure was the better one, just because of the the way that the plot kind of entangled itself with the duplicates. Um, this one is definitely a good one. It stands on its own. It has a great uh, flow through it. You don't get the plot and the curse of the object right away. It kind of grows throughout the episode. And more and more information about the actual pirate's curse is revealed as it goes on. Until it gets to the very end of the um, Pirates Promise episode where you it is revealed to the audience that Joe himself, Joe Fenton, is actually one of the descendants. So while he's bringing bodies to uh, McBride, the dead pirate McBride, yeah. this pirate knows that at some point in time he's going to kill Joe and never give him the treasure. Uh, but it's also revealed at the very, very tail end that the only reason he is a descendant is because Dewey Covington, the you know lovable character out of this whole episode, uh, he and Joe are actually half brothers. You know they shared the same mother, yet they were both kind of adopted by different families. Yeah, and the big plot, neither of them knew it. The big plot twist revelation of the episode, which was like, okay, we've kind of done that plot line before, but. I don't know how many times it's been done up to when the show aired in, uh, I believe this is still 1988, so summer of of 1988, uh, which by the way, don't forget, this is a syndicated television show, so the next four episodes are going to go into July, which most shows have ended by late May. By the beginning, middle, or late May, television shows were done for the summer. It was reruns, it was news, it was baseball, it was... Uh, NBA Finals, um, you know, there's a reason why Summer was just nothing ever, it was ever, is ever on TV. Uh, but syndicated TV thrived in the summer when nobody was watching anything else. So uh, that's why this show had like a 26 episode run for the first season. Yeah, it's an incredibly long season for a show, you know, especially nowadays. You know, you rule the day your mother ever spawned you. Yeah, yeah like yeah. most, uh, I mean, God, how many, look at how many more and more television shows are only getting like 12 episode, 13 episode seasons because the production values need to go up. And, uh, you know, it, TV is expensive. So it, not everyone has the Game of Thrones budget of a $100 million season. Yeah, yeah. Some of my favorite ones have only like 10 episodes to 13 episodes a season and you you get right into it and then it ends and you're like ah damn it especially with that mid-season break in there as well which i hate it's like 
the, Friday the 13th has so many episodes in the season that you get to know them as characters, you fall in love with the show, uh, you look forward to it every time it comes on. With the new seasons being so short, you spend most of the time waiting for the show to come out and less time actually enjoying it. That's a disappointing thing about television today. Um, and then you have these seasons sometimes that go for like 22, 23 episodes, and they're just, ugh, they're fill, you know, the filling that they got to put into it, it just sucks. That's one thing I like about Ash vs. Evil Dead, which as of the day we're recording this, which is February 25th, 2018, Ash vs. Evil Dead Season 3 has just started. Season 3, yes! And every episode is only a half hour long, and it's only a 10 episode season, and that's fine, because it's not filling out the episode with nonsense. Yeah, yeah, you can you can you can see Ash versus Evil Dead. Um, was it on Hulu or Netflix? Uh, neither. It's on both. Have, uh, yeah. No, no, it's not. It's it's not on either. It's on Stars. No, I just saw a. a I thought I just saw a promo for it on. Are Hulu. you talking about brand new episodes right now? That they must be on Hulu because they're definitely not on Netflix. Stars and Netflix had a big falling out years ago, so they're definitely not on Netflix right now for brand new episodes. Okay, then I believe I saw it on Hulu. Okay, so then yeah, then they're on Stars, they're on Hulu, and then they, uh, the seasons come out on DVD and Blu-ray at some point uh, in the fall. Um, great show, great show. And you get commentary, by the way, on every episode with Bruce Campbell, too. So def- it's definitely worth to pick up the Blu-ray and DVDs, because you get a commentary of Bruce Campbell on every episode. That's that's worth listening to. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you with my service to the devil. It's really great because he does the commentary with uh, sometimes, like a couple episodes, he does it with Lucy Lawless, and it's just those two. And you're like, oh, it's like a Xena team up because she was Xena and he was Atollicus, the King of Thieves, on his yeah, on show. Yeah. And now she is the second banana to his show, which is kind of interesting. It's hilarious. Because you know why? Sam Raimi, the director and creator of Ash and the Evil Dead, he was also the co creator of Xena. Well, then, you know, you love to work with people that you work with. Yeah, that's why all those episodes were filmed down in uh, Australia, too. Um, Mm -hmm. Which a lot of people have given them grief over because, you know, Sam Raimi and Bruce are from uh, Detroit. And uh, Detroit is a bankrupt city. And why don't you film it up here? And they're like, unfortunately, we can't afford to film it up there. We get to film it, you know, in, in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. No. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much all my notes on this episode. Yeah, that's pretty much the notes on this episode. I don't have. A, I never had a foghorn. I uh, I don't really collect pirate memorabilia. No, I own nautical one, memorabilia. The only pirate thing I own is the pirate adult film. Oh, with the blondes. Well, with the, like, the porn stars, you mean? Yes. You like the blondes? Uh, well, there's more than blondes in it, but yeah, there's it's the highest grossing and most uh, expensive porno ever made. That is true. Because of production value. It, it it has a high budget. It is good, but it's, you know, it's still... Porn. You know, it's still porn. Yeah, but but it's it's definitely worth a watch if you've never seen it, just to see the production value in the, in the porno, just be like, wow, they really threw it into this film, and not just to make everyone look pretty while they're screwing. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually prefer uh, different flavored porn than that so <laughs> ah. <laughs> my favorite and i'll just 
tell this to our audience. My favorite is a high production value porn uh, called Fashionistas. It stars Belladonna, and it is fan fucking tastic. It's a it's a four disc set. One disc is the soundtrack, which is amazing. Wow, interesting. Second disc is a behind-the-scenes special features type of thing, and then two discs are the actual movie. And it's one of those films where you watch it, and it's like, yeah, it's BDSM, it's latex, it's bondage, it's stuff like that, but you also care about the plot. And Rocco, he's one of the, the he's, I guess, the, the main... Um, the main dick of the film. Uh, he's very good in it, and uh, you just want him to get together with Belladonna towards the end of the movie. And I mean, it's amazing. I have worn out two copies of it so far. Huh. But Fashionistas, check it out if you're into that type of thing. Okay, there's an endorsement if you ever heard one. Um, <laughs> so we got four episodes left of Friday the 13th, the series, and then again, as I mentioned before in previous episodes, we will be switching gears uh, in between seasons to do Spawn, the animated series from HBO. So look forward to that starting in April. But uh, if you would like to find us, you can find us on the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page, as well as our individual Twitters, at ChrisDSAV. And at ElegantlyKinky. And you can send us an email at thatradiohorror at gmail.com. If you wish to also support us on Patreon, please do at the Radio Horror Patreon page. If you're a business that would like to support the Dead TV podcast and have a commercial played for you, like Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts, please send us an email as well letting us know what you would like to do. And we'll see you back here in two weeks for another episode of the Dead TV podcast. Bye, everyone.